we stand in the presence of God's word. When Laban heard the news about his sister's son, Jacob, he ran to meet him. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. Laban said to Jacob, What shall your wages be? Now, Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. So Laban gathered all the people and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. When morning came, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, Why have you deceived me? And Laban said, This is not done in our country, giving the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also for serving me another seven years. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, but he loved Rachel more than Leah. And when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. Leah conceived and bore a son, Reuben. She conceived again, Simeon. Again she conceived, Levi. She conceived again, Judah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Jacob is already the third generation of this chosen family. We need to review a little bit to get him to this point. We know that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are a prehistory for the Jews. They try to describe their understanding of how all things came to be until the time of Abraham and Sarah, about 1,800 years before the coming of Jesus of Nazareth. Abraham and Sarah lived in a little nowhere place called Ur in the Chaldean Mountains near the Tigris-Euphrates River Valleys, modern-day Iraq. They were well past childbearing age, having tried for years to have a baby without success. When the Almighty came by and asked if they would like to have a child, Sarah giggled. Where were you all those years ago? when we were trying so desperately to have a child. And God said, would you like to have one now? Well, yes, they said. Okay, roll up your bed, pack up your tent, and come with me. And before any pregnancy, they did exactly that. They moved 600 miles westward from Ur to Haran. Still no baby. So Sarah suggested to Abraham, if you're ever going to be a father, have to be with somebody else, take my handmaid Hagar. And he said, whatever you think, dear. And a son was born, whom they named Ishmael. And then they moved 400 miles south into Canaan. Sarah got pregnant and bore a son they named Isaac. Now Sarah was jealous of this other son of Abraham's, and so she said to him one day, I want Hagar and her baby out of here. And he said, whatever you think, dear, and he chased them out into the desert. Next generation, Isaac grew up. They sent out trusted servants looking for a wife for him. They found one named Rebekah. He went into Rebekah, and eventually she conceived, and they had twins Esau and Jacob. 
Rebecca believed while she was pregnant that God had come to her in a vision and said, this is going to be a really strange twosome here. The older one is going to serve the younger one. And the one second born was born clutching onto the heel of his brother Esau. As they grew, it was easy to tell these were very different boys. Esau was hairy, loved to hunt, loved to be out in the woods. Jacob was fair, stayed home with his mother, close around the tent, learned to cook. Now you see, this was a conflict later in Israel. Would they be hunters and gatherers, or would they domesticate animals and eventually farm? So there's a what they chose to be was what Jacob represented rather than the Edomites who may well have begun the tribe of, of Esau may have begun the Edomite tribe. Nonetheless, there came a day when Rebekah helped Jacob deceive the now old and almost blind father, tricking him into blessing him rather than his older brother by Jacob's putting on animal skins around his arms so he would be hairy like Esau if his father reached out to touch him and he would smell like Esau. It worked. And when Esau heard what had happened, that he had been tricked out of his birthright, he went to see his father and said, Have you no blessing for me? And when his father said he had only one blessing to give, Esau said, I'm going to kill him. And Jacob ran. 400 miles back to Haran, from whence his mother had come. He went to a watering hole up there and saw some shepherds waiting to water their sheep and asked, Do you know my Uncle Laban? Well, of course. In fact, there comes his daughter Rachel over that hill, bringing their sheep to be watered. He uncovered the well and helped water her sheep, told her who he was. She ran to her father and said, Your sister Rebecca's son Jacob is here. No, he ran to meet him. Point one. Jacob told his uncle all these things. And the uncle said, No doubt about it, you're one of mine. I recognize you right away. This is my family. Now we're told that people who get conned usually get conned because they're trying to con somebody else. Because they're trying to get something for nothing. Because something is too good to be true, and they choose to believe it. Gail and I used to go to the Louisiana State Fair in Shreveport. Now we go to the Tulsa State Fair, of course. I want you to put this in perspective. It's really hot and dry in Tulsa right now. We are 41 days from Oklahoma and Tulsa playing football. We're 60 days from the Tulsa State Fair, and it always rains during the Tulsa State Fair, right? Gail and I had a couple who were friends of ours named Eddie and Glinda. We had gotten married at the end of our sophomore year in college. Eddie and Glinda came over one Friday night, and we all went to the Louisiana State Fair there in Shreveport. I made $200 a month. Eddie and Glinda had a little more money than we did. That night we were making our way down the midway when a barker said to Eddie, how would you like to make some real money? How'd you like to make some real money? And Eddie walked over a little bit closer. This fellow had a, 
the box, the borders around it, lots of holes with numbers on them. He said, I'm going to give you three marbles, and all you have to do is drop them. They'll roll into holes. If the, hole, if the numbers add up to be fewer than five or more than 20, you win 10 yards. It's a football field. You only have to catch the ball and go 100 yards. You get all the money. Eddie started to walk away, and the guy said, let me make it more interesting for you. Every time you put down five, I'll put down ten. Eddie took out a five-dollar bill, laid it down, dropped the marbles. Now, I was really good in math, and I'd been looking at the box. There were only three ones and only three sevens. All the other holes were numbered four fives. Four and fives, Eddie dropped the marbles. You had to get more than 20 or fewer than five. Marbles rolled, fell in holes. The guy said, 12, 14, 18. No, wait, 20, he said. He'd already grabbed the marbles. I said to Eddie, it wasn't 20, it wasn't 20. Oh, he said, if I want to give him 10 yards, what's that? You put down five, I'll put down 10, the barker said. Eddie put down five, the barker put down 10. Dropped the marbles. Before they got settled, the guy jerked him up and said, 21, you're really good at this. You've made another 10 yards. I put down 10, you put down 5. Every time 10 and 5, 10 and 5, I kept saying to Eddie, they're not adding up, Eddie. They're not adding up. Finally, he had $80 on the board. The other guy had put up 160 and he started letting the marbles settle, started counting them. It was almost impossible. He had to get all three in the three ones or all three in the three sevens to get the last ten yards. And finally, Eddie had to either walk away or keep throwing more good money after bad. He walked away having lost his $80. That was almost two weeks' pay for me. I've never forgotten it, ever, ever. Ah, he was going to con this barker. He got conned. He lost his money. So Jacob and Rebecca are pretty clever. Uncle Laban says, boy, you ain't seen nothing yet. Number two. Now there's a conversation about wages. Hey, your family, Laban says to him, let's decide wages. If you're going to stay here with me, what do you think's fair? Now Jacob has taken a good look at Rachel. He thinks she is the prettiest thing he's ever seen in his life. And he blurts out, I'd work seven years for her. Well, that's not quite what he said. What he said was, I will serve you seven years for that one. Now, remember the vision Rebecca had? The older one will serve the younger one. And here in two verses, the old storyteller uses the word serve seven times. And every time it's Jacob who's going to end up serving. But guess what? It's the best thing that's ever happened to him. He loved her so much, the storyteller says, it seemed like only a few days. When somebody else really becomes more important than you, it can be wonderful. I was reading recently about Fred Rogers Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Remember, he was a Presbyterian preacher, pastoring a church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. 
When Fred was 40 years old, he started complaining that all the children's programming on the local television stations was terrible, that he thought a far better message could be given to small children through this wonderful medium of television. One day, a producer at the television station said, well, put up or shut up. What would you put on the air for small children? He wrote his ideas. They said, let's give it a try, and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was born. For the next 33 years, he did that program, talking to little children as if they were people, important people, loved people, and how they should love and be kind to each other. He was given the Freedom Medal by the President of the United States, the highest award ever given to a civilian. He was given a Lifetime Achievement Award, an Emmy for Lifetime Achievement by the television producers, writers, directors, actors, actresses. He had to quit at 73 because he was battling cancer. 18 months later, he died. But at that award ceremony, he said, instead of my thanking a long list of people, I want all of you to be silent for 10 seconds. And let the name come to your mind who first treated you as if you were a person. An important person who had a contribution to make. He stopped. And television went quiet. And then he said, the Lord be with you, and sat down. A minister who had worked with him all those years in producing the show said, some people might have said in his circumstance, God bless you. But I knew Fred well. He believed they already had been blessed by God. They just had not taken time to ask God if he would come along to make themselves aware that God had already blessed them through somebody, maybe more than one somebody's who made them feel they were a person of value. Number three, those who could not read nor write hear key words. Do you hear Jacob say to Laban, who brought the wrong daughter to him on the wedding night, face veiled, went into the wedding tent where it was dark the next morning when the sun came up, Oh, no, it's the wrong daughter. Why have you deceived me? Same word his blinded father asked him, Jacob, how could you deceive me and take the birthright of your brother? How? Dr. Walter Brueggemann, who will be giving our Barton Clinton Gordy series next February, writes commentary on this passage and says, Jacob the deceiver became Jacob the deceived. It came to him. There's a new movie out called Life, Comma, Above All. Dr. Joel Mor Morgenstern, who reviews movies for the Wall Street Journal, has written, this is a low-budget film out of South Africa. The key, a 12-year-old girl named Chandra. Her father has abandoned her and her mother years before, the mother has been desperately looking for a man, and the guy she marries 
is an alcoholic who stays drunk most of the time. Curses is abusive. This 12-year-old child knows that her mother and drunken stepfather have AIDS. They're dying if they don't get help, and the doctor who's treating them is a quack. Mr. Morgenstern wrote, So the real question in the movie is, can a good child rise above a really bad family? Can she rise above anybody, everybody she's ever known? Number four. Why have you deceived me? Then notice how these men talk about these two daughters. Well, do the right thing by this one, and you can have this one, if you serve me seven more years. And Jacob went in later, after a week with Leah, went into Rachel, and he loved Rachel much more. See, that's where the lection really ended for today, but I decided to read a few more verses, because I've read this story before. And when God saw that Leah was unloved, he helped her. Remember when Abraham and Sarah chased Hagar and Ishmael out into the desert? Sarah didn't repent and go looking for her. Abraham didn't repent and go looking for her. There was only one who went looking for them, God. When Hagar ran out of food and water for her child, she left him under the meager shade she could find and went away a few yards. She didn't want to watch him die. And the Lord came. So this one is Leah to God. And she begins to conceive. Remember how many sons Jacob fathered? Twelve. Two of them to one handmaid, two to another handmaid. Eventually, Rachel would have two. She would die giving birth to the second. Rate, uh, Leah birthed six of the twelve sons. In the next generation, it's one of Rachel's children, Joseph, who makes the big difference in Egypt. But after that, it's all about Leah and her son. Her son, Levi, will be the ancestor of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And Judah, one of her sons, will become ancestor of King David, King Solomon, Joseph of Nazareth. When God saw that Leah was unloved, God loved her even more.